Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc slash soap. All right, so at 6 o'clock, we'll hop in. Good morning. Happy Monday. Uh, It's so good to see you all, whether you're joining us now in person or later on on the podcast. It's so good to have you this morning with us. Uh, My name is Heather Knoll. If we haven't already met, um, I am the Outreach and Connect Groups Director here at Fusion. I'm so excited to be with you this morning. Joining in, we're switching up the schedules a little bit this semester, so it's really great to have um, a chance to be with you guys this morning. So we'll jump in uh, and pray in. And we'll, uh, we'll get started. But first, some announcements. Um, if you didn't have a chance, you definitely want to go back and listen to last uh, this past Sunday's message, um, Vision Sunday. We're starting off our summer road trip series, and this is an incredible Sunday. Um, this past weekend of just celebrating all God's done, all God's can continue doing in the next coming seasons here at Fusion. So definitely catch it. Definitely kick off your road trip right this summer with us and catch the vision for what God's doing. Amen. Um, also, uh, our July Go Guides are out. Outreach plug. It's in there. Um, uh, check out the Go Guides. We have um, Atlantic City team is going in uh, to, to EHT on Thursday night to make sandwiches and pack bags. And then going out Saturday morning uh, to bless the people in Atlantic City who need some help the most, right? So go out with Atlantic City team. There's also our Impact Harvest team out in Cumberland County meeting on Thursday nights to bless um, the community with some produce from local farmers. So check out either one, one of those teams this week, get uh, going and get loving out like crazy in the communities. Um, also on Sunday is coming up is welcome home class. So whether you're new to fusion, whether you um, want to jump on a team here at fusion, whether you know someone who's new to fusion and wants to jump on a team, get connected through welcome home class at the 10 30 or 11 AM service at EHT or Cumberland respectively. Um, and get, plugged in, see what God's going to do through you here at Fusion, and be part of what God's doing here uh, in South Jersey. Amen? All right, so uh, pray in, and we'll get started. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this chance to come together, Lord, as brothers and sisters, to hear your word, to learn, um, to let your Holy Spirit speak as we need you most this morning. So I pray right now, open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts and minds, and let us be a part of what you want to do this morning, God. Let your Holy Spirit speak. Um, and just minister to our hearts and give us your divine direction for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray and we thank you. Amen. Amen. So, uh, kicking off this new month of soap with a new book of soap. Uh, so, we're actually starting today in Judges. And I'll be completely honest, I've never read Judges before. Um, the, the denomination I grew up in, we didn't really focus on the book of Judges. <laughs> so, uh, I'm, I'm journeying along with you guys in this whole new chapter. All right, whole new book. So we're starting off in Judges 1. Uh, The title is, Israel Fights the Remaining Canaanites. After the death of Joshua, oh, this is coming from the uh, NIV version too, the record. So if you have another version, we'll see how it compares. All right. Uh, Verse 1. After the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, who of us is to go up first to fight off against the Canaanites? The Lord answered, Judah shall go up. I've given the land into their hands. 
The men of Judah then said to the Simeonites, their fellow Israelites, Come with us into the territory allotted to us, the fight against the Canaanites. We, we in turn will go with you into, into yours. So the Simeonites went with them. When Judah attacked, the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hands, and they struck down 10,000 men at Bezek. It was there that they found Adonai Bezek and fought against him, putting to rout the Canaanites and Perizzites. Adonai Bezek fled, but they chased him and caught him, and cut off his thumbs and big toes. Then Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off have picked up scraps under my table. Now God has paid me back for what I did to them. They brought, they brought him to Israel, to Jerusalem, sorry. They brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there. The men of Judah attacked Jerusalem and also took it. They put to the city the sword and set it on fire. After that, Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites living in the hill country, the Negev, and the western foothills. They advanced against the Canaanites living in Hebron, formerly called Kiriath Arba, and defeated Sheshai, Amai, and Talmai. From there, they advanced against the people living in Debir, formerly called Kiriath Sefer. And Caleb said, I will give my daughter Aksa in marriage to the man who attacks and captures Kiriath Sefer. Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, took it. So Caleb gave his daughter Aksa in marriage to him. One day when she came to Othel, she urged him to ask her father for, for a field. When she got off her donkey, Caleb asked her, what can I do for you? She replied, do me a special favor. Since you have given me the land in the Negev, give me also springs of water. So Caleb gave her the upper and lower springs. The descendants of Moses' father-in-law, the Kenite, went up from the land of Palms, from the city of Palms, with the people of Judah living among the inhabitants of the des desert of Judah in the Negev area near Arad. Then the men of Judah went with the Simeonites, their fellow Israelites, and attacked the Canaanites living in Zephath, and they totally destroyed the city. Therefore, it was called Hormah. Judah also took Gaza, Ashkelon, and Ekron, each city with its territory. The Lord, was the, the Lord was with the men of Judah. They took possession of the hill country, but they were unable to drive the people from the plains because they had chariots fitted with iron. As Moses had promised, Hebron was given to Caleb, who drove it out from the three sons of Anak. The Benjamites, however, did not drive out the Jebusites, who were living in Jerusalem. To this day, the Jebusites live there with the Benjamites. Now the tribes of Joseph attacked Bethel, and the Lord was with them. When they sent men to spy out Bethel, formerly called Luz, the spies saw a man coming out of the city, and they said to him, Show us how to get into the city, and we will see if you were treated with well. So he showed them, and they put to the city the sword, but the man but spared the man and his whole family. He then went to the land of Hittites, where he built a city and called it Luz, which its name to this day. But Manasseh did not drive out the people of Bethshan, or Tanak, or Dor, or Iblim, or Megiddo, and their surrounding settlements. The Canaanites were determined to live in that, air, that land. When Israel became strong, they pressed the Canaanites into forced labor, but never drove them out completely. Nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites living in Gezer, but the Canaanites continued to live there among them. Neither did Zebulon drive out the Canaanites living in Kitron or Nahahal. So these Canaanites lived among them, but Zebulon did subject them to forced labor. 
Nor did Asher drive out those living in, in Echo, or Sidon, or Alab, or Akzib, or Helba, or Aphek, or Rehob. The Asherites lived among the Canaanite inhabitants of the land because they did not drive them out. Neither did Naphtali drive out those living in Beth Shemesh or Beth Anath. But the Naphtalites too lived among the Canaanite inhabitants of the land, and those living in Beth Shemesh and Beth Anan became forced laborers for them. The Emirates confined the Danites to the hill country, not allowing them to come down into the plain. And the Emirates were determined also to hold out in Mount Herez, Ajalon, and Shalabim. When the power of the tribes of Joseph increased, they too were pressed into forced labor. The boundary of the Amorites was from Scorpion, Pas, Tesela, and beyond. Amen to the reading of God's word. All right, so if you're here in the chat with us, chat um, a verse that stuck out to you, um, any kind of uh, insights you may have, any questions you may have, and we'll try and get to those together. Um, in the meantime, take a quick break, uh, get a quick water break, quick stretch break. Let's dive into this. All right, so we're going to go right from the very top, work our way through this, right? Um, so verse one, after the death of Joshua, right there, starting off, we're going into a new season of transition for the Israelites, right? Um, if you're with us the last few weeks in church, we're going through a series called Messy Life, Messy Church. This is the Old Testament version of that, right? Messy life, messy church, messy testament, messy transitions, right? And the Israelites are trying to figure out what life looks like in this new season for them. Because when we're looking at this, they're finally in the promised land. Even though they're in the promised land, inheriting what God has for them, it still isn't easy, right? Who else can relate to that? We've all been in a place where we felt this is God's what God's promised us, whether it's a job, whether it's a family, whether it's a marriage, whether it's um, just in a place in life, right? But that, that does not mean it's easy. God's promises are worth it, so worth it. They're never easy, right? When you're walking in God's promise, you still need to have trust and obedience and such a bold faith. That's what the Israelites are trying to face in this season right now as they're going through this promised land, right? They're here in the promised land, but they still need to have trust and obedience and bold faith in this new land, in this new season. So unlike when Moses passed and Joshua took over from Moses, Joshua left no one behind, no successor. So let's be, you know, I, I personally... Think that God saw how messy things were, and He knew He knew better than putting another human in charge, right? We all have those times where you're like, "Oh, that that didn't work out. Let's try something new," you know. So in this next season, God's really calling them to to seek Him first. It's a challenge and a hope that God has that instead of having to have a, a man or a human leading them, they can trust in God, right? That trust and obedience and bold faith will come directly from Him to them. It's the, the hope, right? Um. As we continue on in the book, we'll see how God actually appoints judges, or what he says, Shaphat in the Hebrew, um, which is not just judges in a legal sense, but a heroic God-appointed leader to carry out a certain word of God or a certain plan at an appointed time. So God tries this, you know, he, he tries to have them just worship him, just seek him, just have him be their leader. But we still see how that doesn't always work out, right? So he starts putting judges in place to help lead the way as we continue on through this book, hence the term or the name judges, right? Um, but here we're starting off in the first book and God's, God's testing them. He wants them to, to seek him first. And we see they, do, they take the right step, right? We see after Joshua passes, Israelites, they ask the Lord. They don't ask another leader. They don't ask another um, um, tribe to go right to the Lord and say, 
who of us is to go up first to fight against the Canaanites? And what happens? The Lord answers them. That simple. We ask, he answers. We seek, we find. Amen. And so when they go to ask him, he gives, he says, the tribe of Judah is to go up. Now, tribe of Judah is at the time the largest and the strongest tribe. So naturally makes good military sense, right? The largest, strongest group of guys. Um, but we look go forward ahead a few couple hundred, you know, years. Judah is also the bloodline of Jesus, of the Messiah. And so in this promised land, you know, they're looking against enemies. They're trying to fight for what God's already promised them. He's the bloodline of Judah then in the Old Testament, just as he does in the New Testament too, to have Jesus come through and bring victory for his people, to bring the promises of God to pass. Amen. And so we're seeing right now the connection between, again, the Old Testament and the New Testament, how we're having the bloodline of, of Judah now fighting for God's people. And then the bloodline of Judah as Jesus, the Messiah, fighting for God's people. Um, and what's so cool, too, is we see how uh, the, the tribe of Judah, they have humility. They have a sense of unity amongst their people, right? Because they don't just go out by themselves. They're like, yeah, God, we got this. Thanks. And just head out. No, the tribe of Judah actually reaches out to their fellow Israelites for support in the warfare, right? Not just the physical, but also the spiritual warfare they're about to face. So they reach out to their fellow Israelites, the Simeonites, and they come up with us into the territory allotted to us to fight against the Canaanites. We in turn will go with you into yours. So we've seen that, that selfless sacrifice between these two different tribes. And it's a great, beautiful picture of what God wants the church to be, right? Capital C Church. Capital C Church is fighting alongside each other in spiritual warfare. They're fighting alongside each other as we're taking ground, right? Going through, um, talking about new construction coming up. In the HT uh, building, Pastor Brennan spoke yesterday about taking ground, right? So we're seeing that the, Jeb, the, um, the Judah is coming together with Simeon and their two tribes to come together and and do and build the church together, build the people up together, right? It's not about one versus the other, about who's better, who's not better. It's coming together. And it's, it's, that's how the church still should be, right? We're still God's people. We still need each other to fight the, fa- the battles we're fighting whether it's physical or spiritual. Um, so the first question we have to talk about today as we, we go through and as you're taking notes naturally um, is uh, if we can't fight the battles alone, who is your Simeonite? Who is that person you can call who will fight the battle with you? Or vice versa, who can you be a Simeonite for in the season of your life? That's why connect groups, that's why dream teams, that's why getting people who know your name here at the church is so, so crucial. So whether you're a first-time guest or whether you've been here for, for years, right? We all need someone to come who knows our name, makes us feel seen, known, and loved, who can connect with us, who can fight with us. And that's why, like we said, connect groups and dream teams are so, so crucial. That's why Welcome Home Class coming up this on Sunday is so crucial to get on a team, get connected, find that Simeonite to battle and journey and fight and walk in victory alongside you. Amen. Uh, so continuing on, uh, verse four. We start seeing those victories, right? When Judah attacks alongside with Simeonites, the Lord gives the Canaanites and Perizzites into their hands. And these start striking down men, start taking land, taking victories, right? Um, and you see, they have a special, uh, special mention here of Adonai Bezek. So Bezek uh, means lightning. And so Adonai Bezek is the Lord of lightning. His name is this king, his, uh, his army leader that they're fighting, right? Uh, it talks about how um, they catch him, 
and they cut off his thumbs and big toes. And like, wow, that's kind of a weird punishment, kind of specific, you know. Um, so back in the time, that's actually a sign of humiliation, right? Um, so at that point, if you, physically speaking, if you lose your thumbs and big toes, you can't function right. You can't hold things, you can't use your hands, you can't walk properly, right? Um, at that point, you're also not fit to be a warrior. So taking so taking uh, someone's thumbs and big toes, especially a guy like Adonai Bezek, who's a, a big warrior, a king, a fighter, right? That's humiliation. That's degrading. That's that's disrespectful. It's the highest degree. And we see that. We see actually how um, God's justice works on earth, right? Because as Nabezek says, he had 70 kings with their thumbs and big toes also cut off under his table. He humiliated 70 people. And so what did the Lord do? He struck him down too. God, what does it say? He detests the proud, right? Those who humble others, who degrade others, who disrespect others, will themselves be humbled and degraded and disrespected by God, right? And yes, and God will, and God will use his people to do it. He'll bring truth and justice through his people if they're doing it through his ways, his righteousness, not their own. Amen. Continuing down to um, verse eight, you see they're attacking Jerusalem too and also taking it over. We're seeing um, how they're just putting the city to the sword and using setting it on fire and purifying, right? Fire is purifying. So after the Canaanites had taken over Jerusalem, their, their holy city, they went down, they, they're taking it back. No holds barred, killing those who came against them, purifying with fire. And, and we're seeing it continue advancing, right? Advancing um, against the hill country, Negev, the western foothills, and Hebron, all these different places, right? The, Jew, the, um, the Israelites are taking names and they're just going, right? Um, so we're seeing that that continued success and favor through God, not through themselves. Amen. Um, it's also really cool, too, if you, if you catch it. It talks about the advance against the Canaanites in verse 10, living in Hebron. So Hebron is actually from Numbers 13. That's where the spies first saw the promised land. So when they're going through, that's where um, Moses sent the, the 12 spies to go check out the land, the promised land. And the spies came back with a, with a bad report. Ten of them came back with a bad report. And that's the whole reason why they couldn't get into the promised land is because of what they saw or they said they saw in Hebron. So the fact that they're actually coming back now and taking Hebron back is so cool how God works, right? He comes, everything comes full circle for God. Uh, and it talks about Caleb, right? Uh, in verse 20, it says, as Moses pro had promised, Hebron was given to Caleb, who drove it from the three sons of Anak. Caleb was the last surviving member that I can I can catch in the reading, the last surviving member of that generation, right? It was Caleb and Joshua were the two spies who brought back a good report. And so Joshua didn't even see Hebron taken, but Caleb saw it taken back and was given to him in verse 20 later on. The lesson here, it's never too late for God's promise. No matter how old you are, how many generations you've seen go by, how many um, sins, how, much, how messed up, how messy your life is, how messy the church is, right? It's never too late for God's promise in your life. What God speaks, he means. What God means, he does. If he said he was going to give that land to, to Caleb, it was Caleb's land to take, amen? It was up to Caleb to come and with boldness and be part of that, that tribe in taking the land. Uh, verse 12 goes on and says, uh, this is Caleb speaking, saying, I will give my daughter Aksa in marriage the man who attacks and captures Kiriath Sefer and goes on to say how um, Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, took it. 
So that's Caleb's nephew. It's Caleb's younger brother's son. So it's his nephew taking it. Um, so he gives his daughter Aksa in marriage to him. So technically his cousin. Um, but again, back then, everyone was cousins with each other, you know. Um, so he, he gives his, his daughter a marriage. And we see another example of sacrifice and selflessness in the church, right? The church family, the capital C church, is coming alongside one another. Because Caleb was, at this point, he's, Joshua was 110 years old, I believe. He was over 100, I know, um, when he passed away. So if him and Caleb were in the same generation, right? Caleb's very old. He can't fight by himself. So having his nephew come alongside him, support him, that family support, that capital C church support, it's, again, so crucial in, in helping Caleb receive that promise from God. Because we all need each other in that, right? We all need each other to help each other walk in victory, walk in promises. And it goes on to continue talking about um, his daughter, Aksa. Um, one day when she came to Othniel, she urged him to ask her father for a field. When she got off her donkey, Caleb asked her, what can I do for you? Verse 15, she replied, do me a special favor. Since you have given me land in the Negev, Give me also springs of water. So Caleb gave her the upper and lower springs. So I personally love how in the middle of all this conquest, all these manly victories, these men of Judah and God's with these men of Judah, here in the middle of all that, we see an example of a female victory, right? We see how how, um, uh, Aksa is empowered and emboldened by her husband's victory and everything and seeing God's promises in Caleb's life. She's empowered to, to seek her own victory now. She's empowered to come to her father and ask for something. Why? Because our victory encourages others to step out in their victory and seek victory in their own lives and God's promises in their life as well, right? Work, work, culture, where we see each other, we see what each other has, right? We see what each other wants at times. So if we're seeing someone walking God's promises, other people are going to want God's promises as well in their lives. Amen. That's what we're seeing here. Um, because at the time, women couldn't own land, right? They were either connected to their fathers or their husbands to own land. And so she urged her husband to ask her father for the spring of, of water, which is, right, it's good wisdom. It's good foresight. When you're in a desert land, water is crucial to survival. Not only is it crucial to yourself, but to your family, even to others in the surrounding community, right? She urges her father, urges her husband to ask her father for that field of springs. And I think what's really interesting too is, uh, even though she urged her husband, she's the one who went to her father to personally ask. Because ladies, let's be honest. Men, cover your ears. Ladies, let's be honest. Wives, we ask our husbands to do something at times. And do they do it? Not always, right? We ask a couple times, a couple times more. And at some point, you're like, I'm going to do it myself, okay? Husbands, you had your chance. I'll do it myself. Um, uh, so that's what she does, right? She urged her husband, talk to father, you know, talk about the springs, get the springs. And doesn't say if he did or not. So I'm assuming he didn't, right? Um, but I, also, I think there's also a sense of not just sassy, but sassiness, but like a an earnest and honesty coming to her father. Because the, re- the realization she had was she has the closer relationship with her father than her husband has, right? He, he's the nephew. She's the daughter. He's the, you know, to, um, to Orthniel, he's the uncle. But to Aksa, he's the father, right? He loves her as a daughter. And so she has a relationship that she can come to him and go, you know, and not wait for her husband, right? And just go to her father and ask for something. And that's the reality we have as, as Christ followers, right? We can't just ask someone else to pray for us or ask someone else to do something for us. We, we need to step out in faith. We need to have the humility 
and the courage to ask what we desire from our Father. And this moment here, this this uh, small story in the midst of all this, is such a beautiful reflection of the Father's love for each of us personally, right? It's showing God's favor towards the men, but also to a woman during this time. His equal love, his equal adoration, right? His equal favor to us. Just like then, as it is now, he, w- he wants to give his children, both men and women, his good, best things for us. Because he loves us that much. And so we're seeing Oxa live that out, right? She's stepping on faith saying, my father loves me. I can ask for something. So Christ's followers here, we can, we, our father loves us. We can ask him for something, right? If you're not even a Christ follower yet, you know, when you, when you let Jesus into your heart and you become a Christ follower, you have that relationship with, with him, with, with the father, you can ask him for something and he hears you. Just like the Israelites in verse one, they came to God and asked for something. He heard and answered them. He's the same God then as he is now. Amen. So we can come to him and ask for something and he will give us his good, best things for us. Continue on at verse 16, um, more victories. I love seeing how, again, it emphasizes um, in, in verse 17 too, with the Simeonites, their fellow Israelites, right? They're going, they're taking land, they're coming together as, as people, one people with their fellow Israelites, winning victories, seeing God move, right? And so we get to verse 19. We're going so good, so good. And then verse 19 happens, right? And we start seeing the, the roadblocks, their victories. It says how they took possession of the hill country, but they were unable to drive the people from the plains because they had chariots fitted with iron. And it's funny because it says that why they couldn't win, but didn't say what happened, right? Didn't say they've even tried, you know? It says that because they had chariots fitted with iron, they were unable to drive the people from their plains. No battle details, if there even was a battle, right? It very well could have been um, just they saw the, the chariots and and panicked, right? So clearly, they didn't know Psalm 20, verse 7, where it says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. That was David speaking. David's generations passed. So he learned the lesson, right? He he was he overcame that that fear of his ancestors. But here, we don't see that yet, right? And it goes on saying how um, the Benjamites did not drive out the Jebusites on their own. And we see how um continues on seeing. How we're doing good, right? Uh, Judah and Simeon are coming together with their tribes and their families, and they're coming with their fellow Israelites to win. But in the Benjamites, in verse 21, it didn't say that they were with anybody else. It didn't say that they had partnered up with, with uh, you know, Judah or they asked for anyone else for help, right? The Benjamites did not drive out the Jebusites. That was it. And that's the first time we see the Israelites are not coming together in unity. And what happens? They weren't able to drive out the enemy. They failed, right? They weren't unbeatable when God had them to do. So we come back, get the very next verse, verse 22. We said that, that the comparison, right? Verse 22, the tribes of Joseph attacked Bethel. So the half tribe of Ephraim and half tribe of Manasseh came together. The tribes, plural of Joseph, the Lord was with them, right? Again, we see that the, the balance of whether if you by yourself, God's not going to honor that. God wants you to seek others out in humility and unity. So the Benjamites were stuck. They got stuck there. But the tribes of Joseph came together. God was with them. Amen. Uh, Then back to verse 27, it goes down. Uh, Manasseh, who was just together with Ephraim, did not drive out the people at at Bethshan or Tanakh or Dor or Eblam. 
and they were and the Canaanites continued to live in that land. So they started off strong, they gradually grew weaker and less focused on God's plans, right? And like, eh, it's good enough, right? Um, and what happens here is the opposite of what Aksa happened saw, right? Um, when Aksa, she saw the victory of others around her, and she was encouraged to, to walk in her own victory. But here we see how uh, how Manasseh was discouraged and disappointed and disillusioned by each other's failings. So at this point, uh, between verses, uh, what, 20 and 27, we start to see how, how Israelites are kind of falling apart, right? And so when they see that um, the, the, the other tribes are kind of falling apart, not walking in the fullness, they start, yeah, it's okay. Uh, we'll, we'll make plans. We'll, we'll inhabit it with them too. And we'll, we'll just do forced labor. We won't actually kill them all, you know? Um, what happens is our failures and our disobedience encourage others to step down and accept disobedience in their own lives too. So walking in victory, others are risen up to that level of victory, right? You bring yourself down to disobedience or to disappointment or let yourself wallow in your failures. Others around you will do the same thing, right? And we see the struggle between the Israelites and the Canaanites. And that, you know, to parallel today, the Israelites and the Canaanites, Canaanites was the culture of the land, the culture of the time, right? And so we're seeing the Israelites are struggling in this culture to take land, to step in the promises of God. Because that non-believing culture around them is not only hurting their livelihood, but their relationship with God. And we're seeing the same thing today, right? We're seeing the same thing where us in culture, it's, it's hard, right? Culture is hard when there's non-believing culture around us, around ourselves in the workplace, in our school, um, in our in even family relationship, right? In our friend, friend circle, right? That non-believing culture around us, it's hard to live with at times. The Canaanite culture then was focused on idolatry and sexual immorality and greed and a very self-centered view of God, which is funny because those are the same sins, the same t- temptations the Israelites struggled with in the desert after they were free from Egypt, right? Remember that? Back in Exodus, the Israelites had idolatry. They were at greed. They were very self-centered, right? All these different things we're seeing happen that generational curses are being passed down from generations to generations still. You know, the idea that um, we talk about uh, how they, they left Egypt, Egypt never left them. That's what we're seeing, right? We're seeing how they're being tempted again by the same struggles. That the things that, that they saw in Egyptian culture, the idolatry, sexual immorality, you know, things that, that was so toxic in their Egyptian culture is now toxic in the Canaanite culture. And they're right back in it again. Um, and I think what's and it's so powerful to remember that it's not us versus their mentality and culture, regardless of the label, whether it's an Egyptian culture, Canaanite culture, even like, let's be honest, American culture, like regardless, regardless of the label that we're putting on the culture, the sinful culture of the time, all struggle and false sin, all struggle with sin, all struggle with temptation. No one is blameless, right? The Israelites who struggled in Egypt, God's people who struggled in the desert and Canaanites, God's people are still struggling today. Okay, with culture and with labels. So no one is blameless here. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are human, right? So the idea is in the, oh, that person or that sin or that culture is so bad. It's, we're all sinners. We're all from generation to generation, hundreds of generations later, still struggling, right? Um, but the reality is that just like the Canaanites, we're trying to be used, we're trying to be used by the Israelites, right? They're like, oh, we can put them to forced labor. Oh, we can use them to our advantage. No, it's not how this works, right? It's like now, oh, that, that sin's not that bad. Oh, this person, like, they're not a believer, but they're, I can use them for this way, or, or they're 
they're a good, they're a good person this time. This other way, the reality is, if it's not God's best, it'll never be your best. Okay. And what culture says, and what that person tries to say, if they're not God's best, it'll never be your best. And we see how that partial disobedience is or partial obedience is still disobedience, right? Whether it's Egyptian culture, Canaanite culture, American culture, as, as Christ followers, partial disobedience is still disobedience to God. And there's still consequences for that. The reality is, as Christians, we need to set the culture or we're stuck in the culture. Let me say that again, because we need to get that this morning. You either set the culture or you're stuck in the culture. And we don't realize as Christians, the influence we have as God's chosen and holy people, we will fall to the influence of the culture around us. And we saw it happen in, in Egypt. We saw it happen in Cana. And guess what? We're not that special, guys. It will happen now, today still. If we don't recognize the calling in our lives, the chosen um, calling God has for his holy people, we will fall to the culture. We need to see God's God, his plans for our lives. We need to be followers that become leaders in the culture, not leaders that become followers, okay? Christ followers need to become leaders, not leaders that become followers. All right, uh, we're finishing up here then. Uh, verse 29 talks about Ephraim and Zebulon and Asher and Naphtali and all these other tribes that failed to drive out people in the Canaanites, right? Um, and spoiler alert, as we continue on this book of Judges, you see the consequences of their actions or their lack thereof of actions, right? Each tribe is on their own again, right? They're not longer coming together. It talks about Zebulon and Asher and Naphtali and all these, the guys all separately, not coming together. And so we see the unsuccessful uh, battles they fought, right? And the challenge that faced because they did not come together in unity. And so I, you know, I, was, I was reading this. I had to ask the question, like, why didn't they drive them out? Was it too much effort? He was scared of the outcome, did not trust God, didn't even not feel like it. They didn't have, they didn't have the support that they needed to, to face the battles. And I had to do a heart check of my own self, right? The heart check of myself was, why aren't I walking in the fullness of what God has for me? Why aren't you walking in the fullness of what God has for you? Does it feel like it's too much effort? Are you scared of the outcome? Do you not trust God? Do you not feel like walking in it? Do you feel like you don't have support around you that you need? Because we can't half follow through with our obedience and faithfulness towards God. He's the one who's, who starts it. He doesn't just follow halfway through. He follows all the way through with his people because he loves us. It's like Pastor Brian talked about yesterday, right, in his message. Small-minded thinking will keep you stuck. You need to drive them out. Yeah, see how when we don't drive out the things around us, we don't drive out the negative people, the toxic culture around us. It keeps us stuck. It kept the Israelites stuck against God's purpose, against God's will for them, right? But they had free will. We have free will to make our own choices. And they, and they chose to be stuck. They chose not to obey. They chose not, chose not to trust God and see his faithfulness. And they set consequences to suffer because of it. Um, Judges 22, or Judges 2, 22, a little preview for tomorrow. Uh, God talks about how I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. So we're seeing a little preview for tomorrow, how God allowed all this to happen for a reason. He allowed those nations to remain. And he did not drive them out all at once. because He wants to see what's going to happen, right? He wants to test the Israelites. Um, spoiler alert, God can use whatever and whomever he wants, including our enemies, to test us and grow us and bring revelation of himself to us. But again, it's up to us to keep our focus on him, keep our eyes and hearts open and seeking him, and see what God really wants to do to lead us into promises and not lead us out stuck 
in small mind thinking. Amen. So as we close out here, uh, three questions, three points, three application um, um, perspectives as we go into our new week, or even this new book, right? Because continue on thinking about these questions. Um, one, are you facing the enemy and fighting battles with your fellow Israelites or trying to take them on by yourself? Who is that Simeonite with you? Who are you a Simeonite for in this season? Uh, two, how are you letting the Canaanite culture around you influence you? Are you setting the culture? Or are you stuck in the culture? Be honest with yourself. Are you a follower who's a leader? Or someone called to be a leader who's just being a follower right now? And three, what is that promise or fullness of God's blessing that you aren't walking in yet? They need to drive the enemy out of in order to receive. Even if the enemy is you. If you're your own worst enemy, drive out that attitude, drive out that perspective, drive out that stinking thinking, as Pastor Brennan says, and walk in that blessing God has for you. All right? Come on, fam, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, God, that we got to come together um, with your word, with your truth, with your love, with your grace. Pray now, Lord God, let these questions that you're posing um, to your people and to myself this morning, let these not be questions we just think about for the next five minutes and walk away, but let these be questions that truly transform our day, transform our week, transform our walk with you, Lord. Help us to walk as, as the people, the holy and chosen nation, God, you've called us to be. Help us, God, to, to walk in the fullness of your promises and your blessings and your favor, Lord. Give us eyes to see those who need your support this morning that we could be a Simeonite for. And God, open us up to the fullness of what you have for us because you have only good things for your people. Help us to walk in that fullness of your blessings and your promises. In Jesus' name we pray and we thank you. Amen. Amen. Good morning uh, to you all again. It's so good to have you with us today. Thank you so much for joining us. I can't wait to continue journeying in this chapter uh, and this book of uh, Judges with you and seeing what else God has to speak as we go through. Take care, all. Have an amazing day, amazing week. We'll see you all soon.